American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life when the words all come down like blues on Well, uh, this is Joe and Amy from History for Jerks. We'd like to apologize. We'd like to take this moment to apologize about our erratic schedule of podcasts they yes. kind of come out here and there when we have time things are tough there's a pandemic yes there's crazy weird crap trying to adjust to it we're all over the place so we're doing our best we love you for hanging in there if you still are if you are and if you're not then you're not hearing this anyway so fuck you no just kidding we would never say that to anyone. <laughs> you love looking in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> well, you put up, yeah, we have a new mirror in our podcast studio, and it's weird because I see myself as weird. I didn't realize I was doing it until you said that. Uh, anyway. It's so funny. It's not funny. It's hilarious. Anyway, thanks for listening. We just want to tell you this isn't going to be the most complete podcast you could hear about Charles Manson. But it's going to be the only one you hear from us idiots. That's right. So maybe it's half-assed, but you know what? You can hear about Charlie Manson anywhere. So this is just our take on the Manson family murders, Murders, right? Yeah. And so we left off last time. Oh, my name is Joe, and this is... Amy. And we are History for Jerks. This is American Timelines. American Timelines, the podcast that brings you... Crazy shit. Brings you closer to your loved ones. In chronological order. And then we comment about it. Okay. So we're in August. And then Amy likes crime. We're in August of 1969. That's true. We left off in the end of July. And so we're picking up Wednesday, August 6, 1969. A sonic boom from a U.S. Navy F-4J Phantom II jet aircraft shattered three quarters of the windows in the downtown business district of the Canadian resort town of Kelowna, British Columbia. Really? Causing an estimated $150,000 worth of damage and injuring six people hurt by broken glass. The unusual incident happened when a member of the Navy's Blue Angels stunt flying team exceeded Mach 1 at an altitude of only 300 feet. Oh, my God. The pilot was accelerating to catch up with the other three members of his team during practice for an upcoming air show. Jeez. The cost of repairs initially estimated at $250,000 was revised downward after 300 different claims were filed, and the U.S. Navy agreed to pay the costs on August 28th. And that brings us to Friday, August 8th, 1969. And I understand that that is the day that was the beginning of a long, crazy-ass tale that you're going to tell us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do my best. Okay, do so, your best. That's all you can do. Being a teacher this at this moment yes. is very difficult. Yes. And I have not had a lot of time uh, to, to work on this silly old podcast. To this story. But I'm going to do my best. And some of it you probably just know because you're a buff. It is. But a lot of it is from smithsonianmag.com. Shout out. 
and um, it's basically um, mostly from that. So okay, okay. <laughs> you just read the magazine. I'm just gonna read you this. Gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna regurgitate the magazine. I am pretty well. Much. You know what, listeners? And that's all right. Guess what? You don't have to read it now. That's right. Yep. You don't have to read the Smithsonian magazine. And there was a couple other but you things should. that you I should snipped subs- in between here and there. But but you should pay for a subscription. Just shout out to Smithsonian magazine, best magazine to pay for. That's right. We're a big fan. So, but not, you just won't have to read this issue. Right. This back issue. We'll just tell you what it says. So, <laughs> Charles Manson was born on November 12th, 1934. Oh, November 12th, 1934. The same day that, insert item here. <laughs> in in Ohio. His mother, okay. Kathleen Maddox, was a teen. Charles's biological father abandoned her baby before, her and the baby before he was born. No. Oh. She married William Manson shortly before Charles was born and then soon started calling her son Charles Mil- Mills Manson oh, after so her new husband. Manson is not his biological father's name. Yes, and don't start yawning. Sorry. He's Charles. Some, so Charles Manson mm-hmm. is not a Manson right. from the beginning. So he grew up with his mother's relatives in an allegedly neglectful and abusive environment. That explains it. By age All 13, set. he had begun committing various petty crimes, including robbery. Huh. And in 1949, he was detained at the Indiana Boys School, where he endured sexual assault and abuse. That's never good for anyone. No. Over a period of several escape attempts and transfers to numerous juvenile centers, he began committing violent sexual assaults on other boys <sighs> and was ultimately transferred to the Ohio Federal Reformatory in 1952. And you can imagine... What life was like at a reformatory for boys in 1952. It probably was not fun. No. Unless you like being violently, anally attacked. That's right. When he was 19 years old in 1954, he was released to his aunt and uncle in McMeshan, West Virginia. And for a brief time, he appeared to settle down, marrying and moving to Los Angeles. Oh, all set. Nothing else will happen. That's great. We're all good. Yep. But he continued to commit crimes. In 1957, he was sentenced to three years in a Los Angeles prison during which his wife filed for divorce. The decades spanning 1957... 1957, his wife filed for divorce? I yes. Bet, I bet she's happy that she got out of, out of that. that thing. That's the same year that, that Eisenhower Doctrine was. So the decades spanning 1957 to 1967 were very turbulent for Manson. Okay. He spent a lot of it in a cycle of suspended sus- suspended sentences and probation violations and imprisonment. Oh, I thought you were going to say suspended animation. He was a pimp. He became a oh. pimp. He was briefly married to a sex worker and began exploring ways to achieve Hollywood fame. Wow. He okay. took guitar lessons. Though, according to one producer who would later attempt to work with him, he was an unmitigated disaster. Oh. Paid careful attention to the Beatles, developed ambitions of becoming a singer-songwriter, and attempted to gain insider connections to film studios. Wow. So, he was a pimp. Mm -hmm. Out of all that, he was a pimp. Yeah. So, I think this is the weirdest thing, that he's trying to be famous and become a Hollywood person and Mm -hmm. a rock star or whatever. Um. Meanwhile, he carefully studied religion as a tool of control and manipulation, That's especially Scientology. Is. Oh, gosh. Along with en- uh, social engineering. He also sought the advice of other career criminals, including pimps who taught him techniques for successfully coercing and breaking down the resistance of women under his control. Uh. 
So then he migrated to Berkeley and then to San Francisco, cities that became flooded with young people looking to embark on a new way of life. Okay. An older figure among the crowd, he amassed a small group of followers who were almost all women. And in 1968, he um, headed along with several female followers to Los Angeles in pursue a music career, having learned to play the guitar in prison. Hmm. Manson's tools of prison pers- guitar. He, he only learns prison songs, though. That's right. His his tools of persuasion were the lax social codes of the late 1960s, in which runaway hippies mingled freely with Hollywood royalty, yeah. and his ability to tell others what they wanted to hear. Both of which he parlayed into a friendship with Dennis Wilson, the drummer of the Beach Boys. Ah, so they were friends. So he's friends with the drummer of the Beach Boys. Yep. Yikes! That's crazy. So then, through Wilson. Manson met other music industry players. Wait, and, th- and this is Carney Wilson's dad, right? Yeah. So Carney Wilson's dad. So do you think she, when she was a kid, she called him Uncle Charlie? Yeah. That's weird. Um, I had an Uncle Charlie, so and my he, cousin saw his balls once. All right. <laughs> on, on accident. So <laughs> he was just. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like a. Uh, an assault or abusive situation. It was like, a, you know, moving boxes and he was wearing shorts. All right. <laughs> yeah, nobody cared. Nobody asked Sorry. for the story. They <laughs> were Uncle Charlie's no. No. sighting. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Sorry. So then through Wilson, he met other music industry players and grew increasingly fixated on stardom. Okay. All the while exercising greater and greater control over the group that came to be known as the Manson family. Okay. He was, an investigative journalist Jeff Wynn put, put it in Manson, The Life and Times of Charles Manson, the wrong man in the right place at the right time. Okay. So I, that's another mm-hmm. reference, I guess. After the family members behind... After... The family members behind the August 1969 murders were apprehended. Yeah. Manson was put on trial for murder along with them. So the family members aren't, aren't real family members. No. It's just people. It's like a hippie commune yes, kind of thing. That's right. And the thing is, Manson didn't do any of the actual killing. Oh. But the prosecutor, Vincent Bugliosi, argued that the family did everything Manson ordered them to do, including murder. Vincent Bugliosi, y'all. One of California's longest standing prison inmates, Manson died in November 2017. So in the public's imagination... The end. Yep. The Manson girls, as they came to be known, loomed almost as large as Manson himself. Really? the Just girls that are part of the, like, the Manson family. Thing? Mostly young women in their late teens and early 20s, Manson family members were, in the late 1960s, not especially unusual. White middle-class women all over the country were headed for the cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles, inspired by other hippies to tune in, turn on, and drop out. Tune in, turn on, and drop out. Manson used his female followers to lure other men to both join the group and to support it. It was several of the women that initially met Dennis Wilson and brought Manson to his home. Man, imagine this. You're a Beach Boys drummer. You're kicking ass. You're, someday you're going to have a child named Carney Wilson. And you're just at the top of life. You're band rules. You're making money. You meet this hot chick. And then she's like, oh, yeah, by the way, join this cult and this crazy murder mm. guy. So Manson and the family bounced around Los Angeles, eventually settling at Spawn Ranch, an old film and television set in the western San Fernando Valley. Spawn? Mm-hmm. Spawn Ranch? At Spawn, Manson exercised total domination over the group. Members were reportedly forbidden from wearing eyeglasses or carrying money. That's difficult to see yeah. when you have a prescription Vision and problems. you can't wear them. And in I guess contact lenses. 
in the book, um, member of yet? the family, my story of Charles Manson, life inside his cult in the darkness that ended the 60s. Yeah. Manson follower Diane Lake, who was just 14 when she met Manson, oh. detailed long nights of lectures in which Manson instructed others at the ranch to take LSD and listen to him preach about the past, present, and future of humanity. Probably boring-ass lectures if you're 14. But some, leave the children out of this. Some of the family remained loyal to Manson even after he was sentenced to death, which was really? later converted to life in prison when the state of California overturned the death penalty. Yeah. In 1975, one of Manson's earliest followers, Lynette Squeaky Frome, attempted Squeaky to Frome. assassinate President Gerald Ford, but her gun jammed and she was quickly felled by social security. That's right. We talked about service. her in uh, right. one of our 1975 episodes. Manson had connections to a number of wealthy and influential people in Los Angeles. Okay, like... Uh, Br- like Br- Dennis Wilson. Oh, Dennis Wilson. So He's yeah, wealthy. And throughout 1968, Wilson allowed Manson and the family to live in his house on Sunset Boulevard. Really? And lent Manson hundreds of thousands of dollars to help him record an album <sighs> in exchange for sexual gratification from Manson's female followers. Oh, man, that's gross. Wilson's manager finally evicted the family in August of 1968. Wow, he said, get the hell out of here, mm-hmm. this is crazy, and Carney Wilson's going to be born someday. So through Dennis Wilson, Manson became acquainted with record producer Terry Melcher, which, who was the son of actress Doris Day, and oh. boyfriend of model and actress Candace Bergen. Name drop city! At one point, the daughter of actress Angela Lansbury was a family hanger-on. With the daughter of uh-huh. Angela Lansbury? Yep. And though she wasn't an official member, she used her mother's credit cards to buy the family's food and clothing. Wait, wait. You know, you said Candace Bergen, whose dad was a, uh, a ventriloquist. Yeah. We talked about that. And then Angela Lansbury from Murder, She Wrote. Mm-hmm. Angela Lansbury was actually best friends with B. Arthur. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, I don't know. Boom, drop that knowledge. So B. Arthur, so the Golden Girls are kind of mm-hmm. associated with Charlie Manson here. Melcher and Bergen lived at the house in at uh, 10050 Cielo Drive that Tate would eventually rent with her husband, director Roman Polanski, and Gwyn posits that the house represented Manson's rejection by the musical establishment because he had courted Melcher as a patron and even hosted the producer at Spawn Ranch, where Melcher politi- politely listened to Manson and the family perform. Huh. Manson yeah. pinned a great deal of hope in his connection with Wilson and Melcher, and it's widely believed that once it became clear the two men weren't going to significantly advance his music career, though Wilson did convince the Beach Boys to rework a re- and record a version of Manson's song Cease to Exist, which they renamed Never Learn Not to Love. So I wonder if you can download that on Spotify. Can. Yeah, you, it's, you can. It was considered a flop. but Did you like it? Are you a big no. fan? Is that what you listen to? I would imagine true crime fans like you it just listen like to that on typical repeat. typical 60s song. Okay. Man- you can hear Manson, Charles Manson singing. In that song? No, in uh, different songs. Like he's got albums yeah. out and stuff? Yeah. I mean, do his you like, recordings. Do you listen to them? No. You put yourself to sleep every night with Charlie Manson songs? So, no. So Manson became increasingly focused on violence during okay. this time. So the Less on the sex, more on the violence? So he started kind of threatening Melcher and Wilson. And those... Um, Just threatening them out of nowhere? Yeah, because they were starting to blow him off. And oh, and he's so getting mad about he, that. And he didn't have a lot of talent, and he had a real violent temper, and he racist, and he would rant about an upcoming race war and all yeah, this stuff. crazy Th- shit. That all continu- contributed to Melcher finally shying away from helping Manson with his musical But he career. still had all these people, these flunkies under him, right, yeah. that were listening to him? Yeah. 
What do you think it is? Is it the drugs or the just the situation those people are in? Like, I think it's all the above. What makes people follow somebody like that? Like David Koresh or any of these mm-hmm. crazies? Like, so, um, I don't know. I don't get it. According to Beach Boys member Mike Love, it was Melcher's mom, Doris Day, who became alarmed at the friendship developing between Manson and her son and convinced Melcher and Bergen to move out of the Cielo Drive house in January 1969. Oh, so Doris Day saved the day. That's right. Boom. In Burn. Ju- in June, Melcher finally told Manson that he wouldn't be signing him to a record deal. So by the summer of 1969, it was clear that Manson's dream of Hollywood stardom were over. Dream is over. So Little known fact, that's probably what that Beatles, that John Lennon song, The Dream the, is Over. Yeah. On the one hand, he's trying to be this star, yeah. you know, like this, the next Jim Morrison type. Yeah. And then um, on the other hand, He's preaching. Wait, wait, did Jim Morrison have a cult following no, and stuff? No, okay. he wanted to be a, Rate smo- people? A, a rock star. Oh, he just wanted to be like Jim Morrison. Yeah. And on the other hand, he had this whole thing about Helter Skelter that he would preach to the family. And it was... And when you say Helter Skelter, you're not talking about the Beatles song. Yes, it was. It was so, about the song. So he, he thought the White Album was a prophecy. Okay. And the song Helter Skelter, he thought, referenced a race war that was going to happen. Oh. And in the race war, the all the black people would rise up and kill all the white people. and But he and his family would... Um, burrow down and live under the ground until the race war was over. Yeah. And all the white people were dead. And then the family would come out and would rule all the black people because black people can't rule themselves. In, in this is what Manson was saying. Oh, so all the white people are gone and then the black people will want their leadership yes. type of thing? Yes. That's what he said. What the Because he was a hell? staunch racist. Yeah. Um. And, you know, I'm surprised he that he's light- racist with such a great upbringing. He was a, li- a lifelong white supremacist who had known associations to the Aryan Brotherhood. An art- article from 1976 noted that he seemed to fixate his fear and anxieties on black Muslims. Huh. And they uh, also that he repeatedly, um, he was repeatedly like a forerunner of the modern alt-right movement. His ideas Yikes. about helter-skelter weren't just generalized drug-fueled mayhem and violence. It was a specific allusion to a race war that Manson believed black Americans, whom he viewed as violent savages, were going to start and then win. As his warped vision went, while the race war was raging... Oh, I already told you about this. So, so you know, these people... Let's talk for a minute about the victims. Okay, I was going to say, like, that. will make you wonder, like... So Charlie Manson was obviously a nutcase, crazy piece of shit. And everybody acknowledges that pretty much. So, like, these people that still follow the, like, racist ideology and the white supremacy and all that, like, why doesn't the switch go off in their heads? Like, oh, yeah. This is what Charlie Manson likes. And Hitler, these lunatics. Yeah. Love this. Like, they don't see that. They don't see that, oh, maybe this is wrong and I should do the opposite and yes. follow the opposite. Yeah. I, or are they think. just fucking nuts, too? Like, are they. I think they're wrong. I guess you got to have something wrong with you to be a white supremacist. Like, there's got to be. It's systemic. It's in, it's yeah. our whole society. It's, We're raised yeah. from birth to ignore the fact of white supremacy. Yeah. And we're taught. And t- it took me 47 years to see it. 
Well, I know. Well, you were in the clan, and I got you out of no, it. No, that's not what I'm saying. No, but I, I know, but I know it's a systemic thing, but it's like, I feel like it takes some intelligence, or like, it doesn't take much intelligence to just be like, duh, it's yeah, fucking know. dumb. All right, let me get back uh, to the story. All right, back to the story. So, um, Manson also wanted, hold on, sorry. You were going to get into the victims, he said. Let's talk oh, okay. a minute about the victims. So so some people said that Manson ki- committed the, that the Manson murders happened because he wanted to start the race war, that the that it wasn't happening fast enough. So he, he wanted, wanted, he was going to try to pin it on the pa- the Black Panthers. And then he was planning on going underground and letting everybody yeah, die. Yeah, but there was also... He was also trying to distract police from other crimes that he had committed. So okay. in, in May 1969, he had non-fatally shot a drug dealer named Bernard Lotsapapa Crow after a dispute over a drug payment. Lotsapapa? Yep. Two months later, he had urged several of his followers to steal money from a friend of his named Gary Hinman. After two days of holding Hinman hostage, during which Manson cut Hinman's ear, Manson follower Bobby, Bobby Bugliosi killed Hinman. <laughs> See, that's not that fast. Yep. 1968 was also the year that Bugliosi and his friend and ex-roommate Gary Hinman met Manson. Bugliosi later per- participated in the three-day torture and attempted extortion of Hinman and then killed him all on Manson's orders. Huh. At his 1970 trial, Bugliosi claimed that Manson was the the one who actually killed Hinman, though he later changed the story. Bugliosi received a death sentence, which was automatically commuted to life in 1972. So the, man, okay. the family members attempted to blame, blame Hinman's death on the Black Panthers by writing political piggy and a Black Panther symbol in blood on the wall. Huh. But Bugliosi was arrested for the murder and then taken into custody on August 6th, though that didn't work. It didn't work. And that's what they were talking about, August 6th. No, we're talking about August 8th. Manson now feared that Bugliosi would crack under pressure while being interrogated and implicate Manson in the murder of Hinman and the previous shooting of Crow. Okay. Two other Manson family members, Mary Bruner and Sandra Good, were also arrested at the same time for using a stolen credit card. Their bail was only $600, but their arrest, combined with Bugliosi's, was enough to send Manson into a rage spiral. All right. So just two days after Bugliosi went, was taken into custody on August 8th, 1969. Oh, the same day that the Beatles had their iconic photograph taken of their crossing of London's Abbey Road as the cover yes. to their, uh, their record album of the same name? Yep. That same day, it, it was a zebra crossing. That's right. Did you know what that was? Yep. Manson ordered his right-hand man, Charles Tex Watson, to take three members of the family to the Cielo Drive address, that one that Terry Melcher used to live at. Yeah. Multiple Manson family members generally claimed that Manson himself never came up with the idea of murdering rich Hollywood piggies, as he called them. This idea originated from group conversations while Manson wasn't even there. But during Manson's trial, Watson claimed Manson told him to go to Melcher's former house on Cielo Drive and totally destroy the current inhabitants. Manson's goal was to have his followers kill everyone at the house and make the killings look like Hin- the Hinman killing in order to divert police suspicion from the captive Bugliosi. Yeah, well, he's yeah, they won't think it's him. Ugh. On the night of August 8th, Manson family members Tex Watson, Patricia Krenwinkel, Susan Atkins, and Linda Kasabian, who would later turn state's witness against the others, drove to Tate, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski's home. 
he was out of town working on a film. The eight months pregnant Tate, who appeared in 1967's Valley of the Dolls and was considered one of Hollywood's most prominent up-and-comers, yeah. was relaxing at home with her friends, celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring, coffee heiress Abigail Folger, and wow. Folger's boyfriend Wojtek Frykowski. I love Folger's coffee. Folger's crystals. None of them had any tangible connection to Manson or the family other than being physically in the house previously occupied by someone Manson knew. Nuts. Nuts. As Bugliosi had done after the killing Hinman... They wrote pig on the door in blood in an attempt to tie the killings to the Hinman's murder and implicate the Black Panthers. So do you think, does, does Manson know who lives there? He doesn't no. care. He doesn't he know care. it's Sharon Tate. He doesn't care. In Helter Skelter, Bugli- Vincent Bugliosi, the the lawyer, yeah. wrote that a witness for the prosecution described a March 1969 day on which Manson came to the house looking for Melcher and found Tate on the porch instead. Uh. There could be no question that Charles Manson saw Sharon Tate and she him. So they do think he knew. He knew her and mm-hmm. knew she lived there, or at least knew. So Tate and her friends all died at the hands of Watson, Krenwinkel, and Atkins, as did Stephen Parent, a teenage friend of the house care, the house's caretaker who happened to be pulling out of the driveway as the killers arrived. Oh, boy. The very next night, the same group of family members, plus Leslie Van Houten and Manson himself, set out co- to commit more murders. They drove to the house of grocery business executive Lino LaBianca and his wife, Rosemary, in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. LaBianca was totally unknown to the Manson family. Some of its members had reportedly been into a party in the neighborhood. No. According to Bugliosi, the LaBiancas were chosen at random after several hours of driving around upscale Los Angeles neighborhoods. Wow. These days, the Tate-LaBianca murders are always mentioned as connected, but at the time they occurred... L.A. police shrugged off the idea of a link between the crimes, despite the identical messages scrawled on the walls in blood. Although police raided the Manson family at Spawn Ranch shortly after the murders, it was on suspicion of car theft. The family was quickly released, and Manson relocated to Barker Ranch at at Death Valley. Before they left Spawn Ranch, however, Manson ordered yet another killing, the August 26th murder of Donald Shea, a ranch hand who Manson blamed for informing on him about the stolen cars to the police. Wow. So in October 1969, many members of the family, including Manson, were arrested. Again, not for the Tate or LaBianca murders, but for stealing RV equipment. Huh. <laughs> After all that, oh, they got yep. us on the RV equipment theft. Yeah, by this time, the police who were investigating the LaBianca murders had finally connected the dots between the two murders. Okay. And linked them back to the murder of Hinman at Mans- and Manson's involvement in that. Okay. So on December 1st, police issued warrants for the five main participants in the Tate-LaBianca killings, Manson, Watson, Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten. December 1st, 1969, the same day that Magic Sam, stage name for Samuel Gene Maggot, 32, American blues musician, died of a heart attack that same day? Yes. A sensationalized 1971 trial followed, characterized by disruptive outbursts from Manson and his supporters inside the courtroom and I'll protests bet. from Manson supporters outside. Now, wouldn't you, if you could go anywhere in the world at any time, you would probably go to this trial and watch it and sit in that courtroom. Probably. You? Knowing you. Even an exploding courthouse bomb, which thankfully injured no one. Huh. Police never confirmed a link between the bomb and Manson, though it was placed directly beneath the courtroom during the trial. Really? So, what? Duh. Ultimately, Charles Manson was convicted on seven counts of first-degree murder for the Tate-LaBianca killings, later followed by two more convictions for the deaths of Hinman and Shea, the Spawn Ranch hand. Manson, Watkins, Adkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten were all sentenced to death, though their death part penalties were commuted to life sentences the following year. 
with the abolishment of the death penalty in California. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're talking about that. Though the public moved on after the trials, the scattered members of the Manson family did not. And throughout the early 70s, they continued to resort to violence and various levels of crime, from petty to, to dramatic. On August 21st, 1971, Manson family members, Mary Bruner, Catherine Gypsy Share, Dennis Rice, Charles Lovett, Larry Bailey, and Kenneth Como raided an army surplus store in southwest L.A., the group frantically stockpiled weapons while holding customers and employees hostage and then became embroiled in a shootout with police that resulted in Bruner and Cher being wounded. Authorities believed their ultimate plan was to hijack a plane in order to ransom the captives for the release of the imprisoned family members. You mean that happened the same day? <laughs> <laughs> kind of past that, but... No, we're not. Oh, the same day that Somerset was on TV? Mm-hmm. Which is... Uh, I don't even know what that is. All right. Oh, a spinoff of Another World. Okay. That same day? Um, so, you know what is weird, though? What? I was r- reading this, and it was talking about all the crimes that the family members did after he went to jail, and those ones went to jail. They were yeah. still, the other ones, there was one um, with the same last name of my parents, what really that died or that were that was one of the manson family members oh i bet you are one of the descendants of them yeah maybe that makes sense so you know all this time i thought charlie manson like was like a serial killer that murdered a whole bunch of people no but he really didn't do anything he didn't do a lot he's innocent and they should have let him out no i don't know about that um, he's crazy, batshit crazy. You ever watch videos of him on YouTube? Oh, I know. He's fucking scary. Well, he's dead now. Yeah, he was. Is he though? So the brutal nature of the murders committed by the Manson family, in addition to the fact that some of the victims were celebrities, touched upon some of the deepest fears of the American psyche. Yeah. The idea that you might not be safe at home, for yeah. one, and the idea that even good girls are are a few moves away from committing unspeakable crimes. Why do good girls? They also like bad. Guys like Charlie Manson. They also cemented the idea in popular culture that the free love movement of the 60s wasn't free at all. Yeah. No. It cost your life. Yep. It cost your life. So, let me see if this little bit. In the White Album, an essay appearing... By the Beatles. Wait a minute. Not to be confused with the Weezer's White Album, because they have one now. Oh, I don't know what that's even saying. Basically, the paranoia of the 60s that that older Americans felt at the time was kind of realized or fulfilled when the Manson family murders occurred. I mean, because you always heard, oh, the 60s, the drugs, the music, it's going to put you in a cult. It's going to make you kill people. It's going to make you a batshit crazy guy that has followers. But the... And I know that wasn't very good. I didn't even really go into the gory details of the murders for you. But the, the I, whole that's thing. That's actually a nice break for me. That's preferable for you. Yeah. Because he like cut out the baby and stuff out of her stomach. Oh, God. Thank you for sparing that. But then. Bringing it up. Thank you for bringing it up now. <laughs> no, it's, that's, a, you know, I mean, we're a different spin on things. Like you can hear all that gory stuff other places. We tell you. What spinoff of Another World was on mm-hmm. uh, during his life? But um, that's, yeah, that's 
so well, you I learned some things. I thought Charlie Manson was more of like a Zodiac killer type. Maybe he was the Zodiac killer. Oh, everything about that. Can we take a break? But we'll be right back after these messages. Sports shows today are not enjoyable. They're over the top. Simply, they couldn't do much better with capturing the audience. Whether you're a sports enthusiast, casual fan, or you're trying to get into the interest of sports altogether, this podcast, D&J Power Hour, will keep you up to date weekly with the latest stories so you get your knowledge. It's also entertaining, making you laugh out loud, and wanting more content on a day-to-day basis. Head to the website at www.djpowerhour.com where you can subscribe to any podcast platform of your choice and continue to enjoy us anywhere, anytime. Your experience matters to us the most. Enjoy. Hey, Dave. Hey, Holly. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I am excited because we're going to start talking about the 80s. Love the 80s. I love the 80s, too. I love everything about the 80s, but I love the music scene. I think I love the music the most, too. If you love the 80s as much as we love the 80s, I think you'll get a kick out of rediscovering a lot of old music. It's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun. Join us. Join us and celebrate the 80s with us. Join us at What Difference Does It Make? The podcast. Okay, we're back. Let's finish up August. Are you ready? I'm ready. Big thing that happened August 15th, 1969. Jimi Hendrix insisted on being the final performer at the Woodstock Music and Art Fair. Whoa. The Woodstock Music Festival. I guess I didn't realize he was the last one. Yeah, but here's the thing. He insisted on it, and so he was scheduled to perform Sunday at midnight. Mm -hmm. But because I guess they were so... Uh, delayed. He didn't take the stage until 9 a.m. on Monday morning. Whoa! And played for two hours to a dwindling audience. Oh man! Like so it was a several day thing, so everybody was already like kind of done leaving. Um, at Woodstock, there were three recorded deaths, zero recorded births. Uh, even though people said there were births. Oh and yeah. Four miscarriages at Woodstock apparently. Um, but there wasn't any violence. No, that's the thing. Yeah. The the people that died, uh, two were from drug overdoses, and another who was just 17 years old was run over by a tractor collecting debris while he was asleep in a sleeping bag. Oh, my God. <laughs> people that died. There was no violence or anything. No, and, that's and it was a huge festival. Gigantic. Um, now, they, they do think that zillions of people were maybe conceived at yes. Woodstock. I think it's in the low zillions. Um, there's a lot of sex there, but... Unfortunately, nobody was conceived during Shana Na's performance. Is they I wouldn't think. Uh, yeah. That's according to, uh, I stole that from heraldnet.com. Oh, okay. um, That said how many, it was a little joke. Um, but a few other things. So I looked up some things that you might not know about Woodstock. You know, it was in mm-hmm. uh, Bethel, New York. Um, it, was the, one of the, it was the first mega concert ever. August 15th to 18th. Uh, they claimed up to a million people came, but it's probably more likely half that number. Um, I'm going to go through some things uh, about the thing that people might not know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it they estimated about four hundred thousand people actually attended it. Um, the Grateful Dead, Jimi Hendrix closed out the show. Mm-hmm. Some of the people that played Woodstock was number one. Woodstock was banned from its original site because of toilets. Oh, uh, this is all according to Arrow. 
No, mentalfloss.com. It was all according to mentalfloss.com. Okay. Okay. Um, they were banned from the original site because of toilets. Uh, these three guys, R.D. Kornfeld, Michael Lang, and Joel Rosen, Rosenman. Mm-hmm. Oh, and John Roberts. I guess it was four people. John Roberts, the Supreme Court Justice. Uh, they were music industry vets. and No, not really a Supreme Court guy. No. And venture capitalists. Uh, who provided the financial backing, they formed a company called Woodstock Ventures um, that they were looking at. They were named Woodstock because they were looking at building a record, recording studio mm-hmm. in a town called Woodstock. And it was like an artist retreat two hours north of New York City. Um, and the original site of the festival was supposed to be at Howard Mills Industrial Park in Wallkill near Middletown, New York. After negotiations with landowners, the four believed they had found a solution, but Wallkill residents shot the idea down, fearing that an influx of visitors, possibly under the influence of alcohol or drugs, or both, would be problematic. And then they insisted that the concert's portable toilets weren't up to code and refused to grant a permit. Okay. So they banned it from happening. So Woodstock was then saved by a farmer. Do you know about this? No. So this farmer named Max Yasger, Yasger, mm-hmm. uh, he owned a 600-acre dairy farm uh, in in Bethel, New York. Uh, that's a small town with just 2,366 residents. Mm-hmm. Um, people still weren't very enthusiastic about him hosting this big thing, but he didn't. He didn't care about that. He was so too he worried. offered to yeah host he, it. He was a middle-aged blue-collar. Not a hippie at all, mm-hmm. uh, but he was a farmer. He's a hardworking farmer, and, but he respected the desire of concert course to share in a communal experience and allow the organize organize. And so he allowed the organizers to use his property for a fee of fifty thousand dollars. Wow! So for him, like, yeah, I was like, shit, I'll make some good money. Mm-hmm. And he even came out at one point to address the crowd, congratulating them on on assembling and that, mm-hmm. how big, how great it was. And um, and so you can see him. You look up his name. Uh, Max Yasker, Y-A-S-G-U-R, mm-hmm. on YouTube, and you can see him uh, talking to the crowd. And it's oh, just really? like this little, nice little old farmer guy. Like, uh, hmm. And Woodstock was not meant to be a free concert, uh, but so many people showed up before they had the gates up and everything and just yeah. camped and hung, hung out even before they could even start it. They were already there. so They, they um, couldn't probably charge after that. Yeah, so... Yeah, uh, so the, the one day's admission was supposed to be $7. Attending all three days was supposed to be $18. But everybody was there so early that it ended up kind of being free. Um, I went to Lollapalooza. You did? Yeah. I saw, let's see, Fishbone, Primus, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Pearl Jam, I think. That's pretty cool. That's a good lineup. I went yeah. to Coachella one time. Oh, you did? Yeah. Saw the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Uh, I think a tribe called Quest. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Pharrell was there before oh, he was big. Really? Like, he, he was in a group called the Neptunes, N-E-R-D. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gosh, I can't even remember who else I saw. But I was in the desert and I was like dehydrated or mm-hmm. something, drinking and stuff. But anyway... um. They did run into a deficit because they let so many people in for free. Uh, but they eventually saw a modest profit after other income sources, like the 1970 concert film Woodstock, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, many, many cows were in, in attendance because it was on this dairy got, farm. Yeah. And he was supposed to like fence in an area to keep the cows in. Yeah. Uh, but so many people ran over the barrier and set up campgrounds that they just let the cows wander and mingle with the Oh, attendees. really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's funny. Yeah. So the cows and the fans got along fine. There was no That's problem with funny. that. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. weird. It had to stink, though. I mean, the yeah. hip. I don't know what, what stunk worse, the cow pies or, or the hippies? The hippies, yeah. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, little known fact, got $18,000 to perform. Oh, really? That's all he made. Yep. Um, but at the time, that was expensive. Um, mm-hmm. That's like $125,000, $130,000 now. Um, Creedence Clearwater Revival was the first act booked, and they made $10,000. The Who received $6,250, although another report has them receiving eleven grand, and uh, so they uh-huh. probably didn't want anybody to know. Yeah. Joe Cocker only made $1,300. Oh, poor guy. Shana Na got $750. <laughs> and there was a lot. There was a shitload of those guys. So they probably Sha each Na. made. Yeah, he's made 10 they bucks. They each made 10 bucks, yeah. Yeah. Um, Woodstock's musical acts needed to be helicoptered in. Uh, the traffic. I, that, I Because the so. traffic was yeah. so backed up in that tiny little town. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little thing people might not know. Uh, and their crowd... We already talked about this, but the crowd was very, very well behaved, and that I think surprised a lot of people. Um, well, it was in against what they were people were starting to hear about hippies. Yeah. Hippies were becoming very demonized. At yeah, there's supposed to be a terrible and and people were starting to hear that they were stoned all the time and they d- didn't bathe and all that stuff. And, and I bet Charlie Manson didn't help things. No. And that, like he was a big that hippie made cult it thing, like yeah. a thousand times worse. And so then when Woodstock happened, people were like, huh, that's that's weird. We thought they'd all be drug crazed and killing each other and stuff. Yeah. Um, another little thing you might not know is even the ice mm-hmm. had LSD in it. Uh Man. The Who's John Entwistle told Billboard uh, that he decided to drink a bourbon and Coke and realized that someone had spiked the ice with acid. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. The use of psychedelic drugs was estimated to have resulted in only 25 freakouts every hour the first night of the festival. Every hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they said they had, like, staff ready to just, like, calm people down and sit with people because they knew people would freak out. Mm-hmm. You know, people always freak Well, they had some guy out. come out in the intercom and, and say something like, you guys, the purple acid is bad. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. Don't take the purple acid. Yeah, that's actually right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I think that was something I was going to mention too. That because um, the Who, I think that the Who was their set was crashed by Abby Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Um, he he rushed on stage to protest the imprisonment. The imprisonment of the White Panther Party leader John Sinclair mm-hmm. and Pete Townsend swung at Hoffman with his guitar and ushered him off stage. I guess. Oh. Um, but uh, Pete Townsend said later that he th- he thought that performance and being interrupted and all that mm-hmm. uh, boosted sales of their album. Uh, but the, and there were there were public service announcements between each act. Uh, and it was an era before cell phones, so to communicate with people yeah. um, and get messages out. Uh, but I think they. They said that um, a member of the production staff named Edward Chip Monk, that's actually his name, oh Chip my God. Monk, he took to the microphone to deliver announcements, uh, alerting the crowd to unattended children or to notify people where to find help. Uh, 
one time he was known to say, Kenny Irwin, please go to the information booth for your insulin. <laughs> Uh, Paul Andrews, Mike needs his pills and we'll meet you where he did yesterday. Uh, and you can hear, and there's a video too attached to this mental floss site where you can hear, they think it's Monk, they don't know, but mm-hmm. warning the crowd about some potentially harmful brown acid making the That's rounds. That's what it was. That you probably heard, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the original Woodstock site is now in the National Register of Historic Places. Um Uh-oh. Dog's coughing. Dog's oh, coughing. Yep. And even the garbage had a message. Um, people they people were really good about cleaning up and mm-hmm. cleaning after. That was the most amazing oh, thing to me. Yeah. There was tons and tons of garbage, but they cleaned up and they put it away. You know, they, yeah. And they made a big peace symbol with the garbage, I guess. Uh, <laughs> He's <laughs> like, thanks. <Yeah>. Thanks for <laughs> yeah. spreading the garbage all over the ground in a peace symbol. Yeah. People did it, uh, and I think that's that covers most of Woodstock, the Woodstock Festival. Um, yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, There's some other things about Joan Baez was there, and Arlo Guthrie. Oh, Sly and the Family Stone, Jefferson Airplane, um, and Donnie Wahlberg was born uh, during that um, in Boston at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then August 18th, 1969, Long John Silver's, an American fast food restaurant chain specializing in seafood, opened its first store, making oh. its debut in what town? I don't fucking know. Lexington, Kentucky. I thought you were Long John Silver's expert. Nope. No. I am rescinding your certificate for Long John Silver's expertancy. Expertness. Okay. Uh, Ed Norton was born. And Christian Slater on the same day, August 18th, 1969. Stop with the birthdays, please. <laughs> you wish. And then uh, on August 19th, 1969, I don't know mm-hmm. if you know this, but Grace Slick of Jefferson Airplane was the very first person in history mm-hmm. to say the F word on American TV. Oh. On the Dick Cavett show what, uh, during the song say? We Can Be Together. Mm-hmm. You know that song? Uh, maybe if I heard it, I I never heard it. It's, oh, and I don't think it's a particularly good song, but that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you haven't heard it. But if you go to YouTube and look up Grace Slick, Dick Cavett, uh, you, you know, find in that song the "We Can Be Together." Mm-hmm. You'll see he he had it was like a whole hippie concert. It was just Dick Cavett just like having hippies play. It was mm-hmm. like. Uh, I can't remember who else was playing on that, but there were some other bands. But Jefferson Airplane was good. I mean, they were great. They're rocking yeah. out. Oh, I think David Crosby was on stage with them playing oh, really? and stuff. And there was, I can't remember now. I watched the video, but at the five, just to let people know. Because this the was five, a, one of the best times in music, in my opinion. 69 oh, yeah. is one of the best years ever Oh, it's in music. amazing. Yeah, so like you can, everything and that's good. the thing. Like all, It seems like all of Dick Cavett shows are on YouTube. Yeah. Like I like watching the interviews and stuff with people. Like mm-hmm. just, it's crazy how similar it is to today and what's happening. And yes. you see all these historic people. I think, I think he did like a two hour interview with John Lennon and Yoko mm-hmm. Ono. Dick Cavett did, I think. Like there's a lot, Dick Cavett was great at interviewing people. Anyway, look up Dick Cavett. Grace Slick, Jefferson Airplane, We Can Be Together, or First F Word, whatever you want to say. If you go to the 525 mark mm-hmm. in the song, that's how long they were playing. Yeah. Um, she says, up against the wall, motherfucker, is one of the oh. lines that she says. She says it right there. and It's not super clear, but it's pretty clear, I think, for 
1969. Was it now? Did they censor it out or was it live? No, it was live. Oh, wow. And they don't have, yeah, they don't, I don't think they T- did Yeah, that sure then. they did. Sure, they pre recorded shows. Mm, no, yeah, of course not they did. those shows, not like talk shows, I don't think. Oh, I'm, I bet they did sometimes. I, mean, I don't think, because didn't we say that film was like so expensive then? Like, maybe they did. I don't know. I don't know anything. I'm a stupid idiot. Well, me a, too, so whatever. With a dumb face. No, nobody cares is the big thing. They do care. There's people that care. No, let's move on. Tweet us at History this, for Jerks if you care. This, we Wednesday, Wednesday, August 20th, 1969, the Beatles recorded one final song as a group. Assembling in the Apple Studios to complete the last necessary production for their album, Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Ringo Starr finished the overdubs for I Want You, subtitled She's So Heavy. Oh, yeah. Two days later, they met at Lennon's estate for a final photo session. And on January 3rd, McCartney, Harrison, and Starr would gather in the studio without Lennon to finish I Me Mine for the Let It Be album, which had largely been completed before Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm still, I'm sad about yeah how it ended with the Beatles and then. It's just so bitter, like, it seemed like there was hard feelings or something. Well, there was, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you listen to that John Lennon, I was listening to that John Lennon song, it's uh, How Do You Sleep? It's yeah. It's supposed to be to Paul, like. Yeah. He's like, blames Paul for breaking him up, but then everybody else blames Yoko and. Yeah. It's hard. It's got to be hard to be a super group like that. Oh, I know. And I don't know if they ever. I can't remember if we covered that when John Lennon died in 1980, if they reconciled. I think they did. I thought they said they did. I don't know. um, And then August 23rd, 1969, the Rolling Stones take over the number one spot on the Billboard charts with Honky Tonk Women. Mm -hmm. You know how that one goes, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Are you going to sing a few bars for us? or No. She's a honky tonk woman. Tap, 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 dog. Give me, give me the honky-tonk blues. Blues, there we go. That's a great song. Um, Stop (laughs) tip-tapping. It's not a tap dance show. It is, maybe. Our dog is tap dancing. Uh, (laughs) She's not coughing, she's tap dancing. Yeah. Stella's been kind of a big part of this podcast today. Yeah? She's coughing, she's tap dancing. On August 29th, 1969, the poverty the poverty line, mm-hmm. now in use by the U.S. government, was first announced. Although the amount would be adjusted for inflation to reflect changes in the consumer price index, the definition of the poverty level would remain unchanged for the next 50 years. Wow. It was like something like $700 it a year. It was ridiculous. Something. Yeah. yeah. It still is ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Because it's like $20,000 a year. For a family of four. For a family of four. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, ridiculous. Yeah. If you make under that, then you're... But other than that, you're fine. Right. You can perfectly live. Uh, $21,000 a year for a family of four, and you're good. What can you eat? Like, what I know. You even, that's if you grow your own crops. I don't know what you would do. You would starve and... You couldn't live anywhere you nice. Could, yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't even... You couldn't own a house. You couldn't have a television or no, cable or, or, or cell phone. Netflix or a phone. You could just live in a... In a box. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you just sleep in a box. All four of your family members. You don't need all that stuff. It's ridiculous. Uh, 
August 31st, 1969 was a Sunday. Rocky Marciano, the only undefeated world heavyweight boxing champion in history, mm-hmm. was killed in the crash of a Cessna 172 airplane that was taking him from Chicago to Des Moines, along with pilot Glenn Bells and another passenger. You know what is really sad? What? I didn't realize he was a real person. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> Wait. Are you... I don't want you to feel that dumber than you are. <laughs> you know I'm not talking about Rocky Balboa, right? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Rocky Marciano? He's the only undefeated world heavyweight boxing champion in history. Well, they're both like, boxers. Right. And Rocky Balboa is kind of inspired, I think, by Rocky Marciano. But it's not. It's not. Well, I, that's not that far It's out. not that far up. But I do... I did realize when you said that you were talking about Rocky and Apollo Creed and all that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think he was inspired by that. All right. So, not that dumb. But I don't I'm think it's exactly. I'm not a sports person. So, are you saying that, like, just now, mm-hmm. you were thinking that that was a biography movie? Rocky? Maybe. It might have been. <laughs> Adrian. It was well written, and and Sly Stallone wrote it on a napkin, I guess, with yeah. it, with his dick. No, yeah, no, he dipped his dick in no, ink, no. and then he like wrote on a giant napkin or something like that. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, anyway, Rocky Marciano died uh, along with an insurance salesman, salesman and family friend, Frank Farrell, uh, flying at night. The Cessna ran out of fuel as it approached Des Moines. Mm-hmm. And Bells attempted attempted an emergency landing in Newton, Iowa, and struck the ground two miles short of the runway at 9.05 in the evening. Marciano, born Rocco Francis Marchegiano, had a pro boxing record of 49 wins and zero losses upon his retirement in 1956 after almost four years as champion. His death came on the eve of his 46th birthday. Hmm. They were flying there for a birthday party. Uh, yep. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Oh, that's it for August. Yeah, that's that's all I got. I hate to okay. end it on a bad note. Well, but you I'm glad that bad you what you now you thought Rocky. You don't was have real. to keep bringing that up. <laughs> did, you, did you also think Rocky? Did you think Clubber Lang was real too? Like I Mr. don't T? even remember and that the movie. Russian thing. Like he always. <laughs> I don't even remember that movie. So see which one? Three. The first one. I didn't think of sequels were real. Now I think Rocky is good. Is a really good I thought movie. Maybe the it's first like a good message. Real. It's like Karate Kid. They said Karate Kid's such a good message for right. kids. Rocky, I think, is too. Except all the bludgeoning of each other's faces. Right, that's probably not good. But it's like a poor. It's a like a yeah a poor guy on the street that makes mm-hmm. good like makes something of himself and right success story of an underdog kind of thing. Exactly. And. Uh, that's it. That's all I got for August of 1969. So we only have like four more, four more months for, left. Yeah, four I don't more know months. if we're going to, you know, we could probably do a couple of months at a time. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. So only a couple more episodes left of the 60s, and we'll probably take a little bit of a break just because things are so rough right now. Yeah. As far as keeping up with the world and the pandemics and all that, unless we both lose our jobs and then. Then we have nothing else to do. Yeah. But anyway, thank you for listening. Sorry about the pandemic. Uh, Amy apologizes. It's her fault. Um, I, I'm the one that ate a bat. She did eat a bat. Stuck uh, a bat in my hoo-ha. Whoa. 
that is inappropriate, and I am offended. Well. I banged a bat. Did I see? All right, what if I winked it to, to a Batman, an old Batman episode with no. Zank Powie, Zap? No, stop. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, get out of here, Chuck Berry. Yep, get out of uh, here, Chuck Berry. A few more episodes, and then we're going to, just to let you know, we're going to probably retool things for the 50s. Uh, we're going to change We're not going to be up. so... Uh, Bogged down in minutia. Yeah, we're not going to talk about everything anymore. The sixties were a big thing and big. a big change. We're going to go back to, and it'll be harder to find stuff from the fifties. Oh probably, my god, so. yeah, we'll probably do one, a year episode. Yeah, we'll just do legends and things. But I think we're going to we're going to have some big, cool changes. I think some good things. Um, Don't oversell it. I'm replacing you. What? Well, I was thinking about replacing you with Ellen DeGeneres. I thought she had a job already. No, didn't hear she's been canceled. Is it? Yeah, she's been canceled. Is it really? I don't think her show's been canceled yet, but she's been canceled. Oh, she's, she's, I know she's, people say she's. She's been sort of me too'd, except it's not a me too. It's like a, they should come up with a hashtag for the just. For somebody who's a bitch. For just being mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my whole thing about it is she probably needs to be a bitch. I mean, she's, she's probably overcome, overcome a lot. So she's, hasn't she earned the right to be a bitch? Could be. Maybe she's just tough. Maybe she is just a tough badass. And people think she's a bitch because they can't turn it into that. Yeah, right. maybe people's feelings are hurt, or maybe she's really a terrible. I mean, person. there's who been knows? people that I've worked with, but before who, like, I'll hear, "Oh, she's a bitch," and then I get to know them, and I end up really liking them. Well, you like bitches. Oh, me too. I I do agree with that. I do too. Not a always. Lot of yeah. Not always. But there's been a few times when when. Yeah, people will yeah, say, think, "Oh well, God, she's tough. She's a bitch." And and I think I hear that most about like teachers and stuff. I remember like yeah, with teachers. I'm always hearing that about a teacher. Like when it's seventh grade, it's like Mrs. Towns is so tough. You, yep. she's mean and she's nasty. She's real pretty. Yeah, but she was she's real tough and real mean. Mm-hmm. But she was beautiful. Um, and then when I got in her class, I was scared to death of her. But yeah, I did good work and I tried, and she was real nice to me. Hmm. Uh, I think she just doesn't take shit from people, giving right. her shit. And as a probably like a pretty teacher, like she mm-hmm. probably had to be, yeah. Because people just thought, oh, you're pretty and dumb. But she was, she like she was like a grammar Nazi. Like you couldn't mm-hmm. say yeah or uh huh. You always got to say yes, and she would correct you. But she, I, I kind of dug her. So yeah. if it's that kind of thing, that's fine, right? And I don't know. I feel like any marginalized group. Not to say they all just get a free pass to do whatever they want, but they should get a free pass to do whatever they want for a while. Like, yeah. just to make the, I don't know, unless they're hurting other people of right. marginalized groups, then I guess that's not good. Right. But So, anyway, don't judge by a, a book by its cover. We don't know if it's Ellen's fault. Maybe she had some people working for her that were jerks. Could maybe be. she was a jerk. Maybe she is a jerk, but it's okay for, people can be jerks of all kinds of stripes. Well, and... I think sometimes if she was a man, she probably wouldn't be labeled as a jerk. Because men can get away with much worse behavior. Because they just chalk it up to, oh, he's just, he's He's a tough guy. He runs a tight ship. He runs a tight ship. He's a tough guy. Yeah. That's true. But women, they say, oh, she's a bitch. Because she's supposed to be nice and welcoming and bosomy. Yeah, or just weak. I think with her, it's the I don't, know why, why, I don't know why we're talking about Ellen, but women, that she's women are told they're indecisive. Well, that, but I do think the whole thing with her in particular is because 
her show. Like she portrays right. herself as this awesome, like, I like to dance yeah. and I have fun and I'm just fun and cool. And then she turns around and screaming at and people like, hey, shut the fuck throwing up. hangers but, at them and stuff. But they have done now, people have done like montages of time for her. We should have all known. Look how mean she was to this. Like, I guess they fed an audience one time, like with, like they gave each everybody a prize or free food yeah. or something and some audience member took extra, like took oh. more than they were supposed to get and then she like apparently on the show like played video of this person taking too much you know like, oh. look at this girl in our audience she everybody could have one thing and she took three look at her shame you know it's kind of like a well that was really mean to do oh, on really? TV, you know something like things to that effect like, yeah and then they like they've done these montages of things she's done but in that case like if you're looking for anything from anybody you can probably find a montage of whatever yeah you know you can name any person there's that montage say, there's that one montage of you when you were riding that unicycle down the street yeah that you can find it. You can find anything. Well, there are well, there are several times I've done that. Though it was the one when you didn't have any pants on. Yeah, when I was urinating all over thing, all over the kids in the parade. Yeah, I yes. was a little intoxicated. Yep. I, and I didn't know they were kids. I thought they were clowns. So I guess that I urinated all over it. everything. I know. No, that's just a joke. I've never been in a unicycle. I can't ride a unicycle. Too bad, because that would make your, that would up your game in my book. That would up your. I did urinate. That would the, up the hot factor for me. I urinated in the driveway last night. What? <laughs> Just kidding. I hope. <laughs> no, come okay, on. Okay, I did. Well, it was dark. It was raining. I was on a Zoom call. Don't do that. <laughs> I had. I had. You're gross enough as a neighbor. I was in gross. You're was always in, out there without a shirt on, <laughs> sweaty, wandering around the neighborhood. Hey, hey, hey! I, I people only are have, gonna. You're gonna be start. They're gonna start. I've so only got six or seven skin tags. You're gonna have a nickname. Shirtless. The neighbors Joe? are gonna give you a nickname. That's fine. Like we have given nicknames to others in well, the past. Well, I will have earned that nickname. Yes, you will. Pissy Joe. Something's wrong with that guy. Pissy weirdo. He was pissing in the driveway the other day, and he's got all those skin tags. Gross. Yeah, that is gross. Anyway, sorry for bugging everyone. We love you. All right, everybody. We, we want to be with you and sing songs with you. Go to birthday party. We're so tired. you waiting for turn the damn thing off yeah. stop it go to the next go to the next one go listen to listen to you know the other podcast you're gonna listen joe to. rogan go listen to joe rogan don't, that's don't. next listen to conan o'brien that one i he's got a murder one doesn't he no i don't know he loves murder did you know that i did know that 
Like he says he loves it. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't. I don't. I disagree with him there. But his Conan O'Brien needs a friend is fabulous. Anyway, get out of here. Why are you guys still listening? I know. I wanna, this podcast is over. I want to listen to. I need to listen You're to You're supposed to be listening to Throughline by NPR. Yeah. What do you think our listeners listen to? Uh, I think if you look us up, it's usually Joe Rogan. Like everybody that listens to us listens to Joe Rogan, I think. No. Or Dirty John. Go listen to the rest of Dirty John. You know you didn't finish it. Yeah. You didn't listen to the credits. Go listen to Serial. There's a one called Radio Rental that's really good. It's kind of spooky. Yeah. But it's Rain Wilson. Oh, the guy Dwight Schrute? Yeah. Huh. He he has, plays a character on it. Ah, like the in, the so one who like introduces a... the stories, the spooky stories. Ah, and they're all like supernatural. They're not murder. Stop. I was just a, I was just exhaling. No, that was weird. Anyway, get out of here. Thanks, everybody. Oh, Happy birthday, American Grandma. Tour. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Thank you, love you.